0: Optimal health for high performers. This is the Health Upgrade Podcast with Dr. Navaz Habib.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to a bit of a special episode of the Health Upgrade Podcast. This is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode, but we're going to speak today about the research involved in vagus nerve stimulation and its effect on type 2 diabetes. So we're talking type 2 diabetes mellitus. Our last episode was a deep dive into the effect of the vagus nerve and autonomic nervous system on how we are producing or or the effect of it with regards to metabolic disease overall. Today, we want to dig in in a bit of a shorter episode where we're going to speak on three particular articles, maybe four, as we go through the conversation, and it'll be a little shorter. But we're going to talk about the research in regards to actual electrical vagus nerve stimulation and its effect on type two diabetes mellitus. I'm here with J.P. Erico once again. Thanks for having, or thanks for joining me.
0: Absolutely, thank you for having me.
1: Let's initially kind of get into the theoretical side of if vagus nerve stimulation could potentially even have a benefit when it comes to metabolic diseases like type two diabetes.
0: Sure, so the original work linking metabolic disease and type two diabetes to inflammation was done in the latter part of last century by some researchers up at Harvard. They were sort of the leaders of that movement and that understanding. And that coincided shortly thereafter with the work by Kevin Tracy at the Feinstein Institute on Long Island, where he discovered a way for the autonomic nervous system and specifically the vagus nerve to modulate inflammation. What he refers to as the inflammatory reflex and the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And we've spent time talking about those in the past and other podcasts. But in specifically with respect to linking that to the metabolism and how modulating immunity could have the effect of of altering uh, metabolic function, he and his uh, colleagues, uh, one in particular, a a gentleman by the name of uh, Valentin Pavlov, wrote a paper in which back in 2012, in which they proposed that vagus nerve stimulation could modulate insulin resistance and lower gluconeogenesis, that's the production of sugar out of the liver, and have an effect on type 2 diabetes. That, that was really fascinating work, an interesting application of the anti-inflammatory pathway. My sense is that as we've now, we're a decade past when that article was written, I think a lot more is now understood. There have been some clinical studies that have been conducted lots of animal work that's been conducted. And I think people better understand how uh, modulating immunity could have an effect on liver function and on the inflammation that's in uh, the white adipose tissue. My prediction is that as we move forward, that analogs or parallel pathways of the initial cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway that was described by Tracy will be discovered, identified in the literature, and will include vagal or, or autonomic nervous system modulation of immune cells in the liver, those are called Kupfer cells, and direct modulation of the inflammatory cells that are embedded in really you know large bulk fat that's in especially the belly area, the white adipose tissue. So exciting first step was recognizing, hey, there might be a way to link this discovery that metabolic disease is an inflammatory condition, they actually refer to it as meta inflammation. And then I think Pavlov and Tracy did a wonderful job of describing how modulating the immune system might have an effect on metabolic disease and specifically type 2 diabetes and the initial description of how it would work.
1: From a theoretical perspective, now we are obviously beyond this but this was 10 years ago that we were trying to figure out could there be an effect here because inflammation is heavily involved in the production of these conditions and and the kind of pathway that occurs at the liver level in particular and so let's let's kind of dig into what some of the research that eventually found in terms of what it was was capable of and and the fact that maybe it wasn't directed the, the initial research wasn't directed at diabetes but it actually was found to be very uh, effective in helping.
0: Yeah, uh, we'll start with some animal studies. And as I said at the start, there's been a lot of animal work that's been done looking at how vagus nerve stimulation might affect type two diabetes and obesity. I'm going to bring up an article that I, I like, which is written by a gentleman back in 2016, or a group of people. Uh, lead authors, Chun Chow. I think that's how you pronounce it. But that paper goes into, I think, a little more detail as to what the mechanism of action would be. But what they did was they took rats that had been genetically programmed and then obviously fed to support that genetic predisposition to become insulin resistant obese rats. And what they did was they looked at vagus nerve stimulation and the effect it had. And they found that it not only had the ability to reduce the body weight and the uh, insulin resistance in these rats. So it was having the target effect of vagus nerve stimulation to treat the metabolic disease. But what they also found was that animals that were programmed in this way that had insulin resistance related to obesity and meta-inflammation also experienced relative to their wild type parallels had cognitive function problems that they were actually less capable intellectually, or or if you call a rat intellectual, but the extent that the rats were, were given tasks and challenges, the amount of time it took them to complete them or whether or not they were capable, that they were impaired. And and we'll have an opportunity to get into this also in in later episodes, I believe, talking about how that inflammation, that systemic inflammation, whether it's associated with meta-inflammation, like we're talking about now, or others, can have a cognitive effect, of change in your brain state. So they found that not only was vagus nerve stimulation able to treat the obesity and treat the the type 2 diabetes, the insulin resistance in these genetically programmed rats, but it actually also improved their cognitive function. So exciting, tantalizing little look at some of the other benefits that we're going to be talking about. But again, a great paper for describing the translation from the theory to animal models
1: it really goes to show and and a bit the, there's a bit of a link here with regards to alzheimer's and dementia being referred to now also as type 3 diabetes as a piece of the insulin resistance kind of pathway or physiologically pathophysiologically creating that cognitive decline and the inability to think clearly and so obviously with regards to that rat model we're talking about a micro level in particular but this type 3 diabetes hypothesis of cognitive decline based on insulin resistance, Uh, very interesting kind of finding there with regards to the improvement in cognitive function.
0: Yeah. And in fact, as I said, when we get to discuss some of the other things that are going on up in the central nervous system associated with immune dysfunction, we'll talk about the role that microglial cells, which are obviously the equivalent of macrophages, but in the central nervous system, how changing their behavior and changing how they're acting can have profound effects really almost from in utero you know day seven of gestation microglial cells are already acting as the conductors of how the brain develops all the way through old age and in fact some of the things that are happening early on in life early on in neurodevelopment if they occur again late in life can lead to dementia and they're all it's all related to immunological dysfunction and and inflammation. Inflammation can trigger it, but we'll have a chance to talk about about type three diabetes and and Alzheimer's on a separate call. But that's that's a great uh, that's a great segue into looking at what can we do for human beings. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we can treat diabetes in rats, but we want to ultimately treat human beings.
1: Yeah. So that's a great way to kind of lead into the next piece of the puzzle and the next study here by Poliker and all in regards to the use of vagus nerve stimulation and gastric electrical stimulation and the effect that it has on A1C levels?
0: Yes, uh, there's a a couple of devices on the market. One is out there by... It's called Entera. it's uh, produced by medtronic but this we're talking about now is the tantalus device Mm -hmm. and um, just to give those people out there who are sort of interested in these types of things this was a device that attached electrodes to the greater curvature of the stomach which is highly innervated by vagal fibers and so the goal of the of the device the original intent of the device was to pace the stomach for patients who have gastroparesis or other problems with moving food through their digestive system, wanting to sort of accelerate the the movement of it. It has been shown to have clinical benefit for patients, especially the, the Medtronic device, but this tantalus device, which was doing the same thing, the researchers started looking at the effect of the therapy on other things other than just obesity and and gastroparesis, but looking at metabolic problems that these patients were having. And in fact, both the Pollocker paper as well as another paper that came out about the same time uh, by San Miguel and his group reported that they found patients who had type 2 diabetes, who had HbA1c's above 7 were benefiting in, in a reduction of their HbA1c levels. It was attributed to the effect of on the vagus nerve. I think they recognized pretty early on that part of the benefit was in increasing, as, as they say, increasing vagal afferent activity. So they, they recognized what the mechanism was, but they weren't really expecting to see the type of drop in HbA1c's that they saw you know, the average over the group, they started out as pretty sick. They had HbA1c's up over eight, they were at 8.4. But they saw a drop down to 7.3. And more than half of them were able to get it below seven, as a result of the therapy, which is pretty exciting. And and it wasn't a year long study. It was a study that only went out as far as uh, I think about not even six months. Wow! So exciting, positive results, which they weren't even looking for. And I'm always excited about studies where something that was not the direct reason for the study is found to be beneficial. Because in that situation, I think you can sort of strip away any risk that there's going to be a, a placebo effect or something where the patient was induced to you know believe that there was going to be a benefit that would accrue. This is a situation where it was really an ancillary finding, which is really exciting.
1: Yeah, so just a quick little piece, and I'm going to throw this up on the screen if you're watching on video here. They had 50 subjects in this particular study, the Pollocker paper, 27 female, 23 male, obese with uncontrolled type 2 diabetes mellitus on a stable regime of oral medication for at least three months prior to the implantation of the tantalus device. And after 24 weeks, they noticed that 80% of patients had an average drop of 1.1 markers or 1.1 on their A1C over 24 weeks and the average weight loss was 5.5 kg. Quite significant positive improvement in a lot of these patients. And so really uh, exciting positive movement with this initial study that we're talking about here. And so where did that then lead to in terms of where the research went?
0: Well, obviously the theory and the animal work and the ancillary findings and i just want to add one more ancillary finding from this study which i found exciting because it actually is parallel to what they saw in the human study of actual vagus nerve stimulation was that it also dropped their hypertension so again in that study i believe it was somewhere close to 90% 88% 44 out of the 50 patients had hypertension prior to entering the study and they demonstrated a drop of you know something like 13 millimeters of mercury in their you know over you know something like nine so a 13 over nine drop in blood pressure is is exceedingly interesting for for people who might have uncontrolled hypertension might not yet be type 2 diabetic but may not even feel as if they're obese but they've got they're carrying a few extra pounds but they've got um, hypertension this is very interesting and it's consistent with the results that were found with a study using an actual vagus nerve stimulator. In this case, it was an auricular stimulator, which is the next paper that we were going to discuss. It's a study out of um, Complementary Alternative Medicine, but it was conducted using a vagus nerve stimulator with 100 patients looking at how auricular stimulation could affect impaired glucose tolerance. But they also found interesting results with respect to their, their HbA1Cs as well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Let's dig into that one. So we're talking particularly in this study about auricular stimulation, which is obviously the ear for those who aren't entirely sure, but it's stimulation of the vagal afferent fibers that are innervating the skin of the ear. And so auricular stimulation of the vagus nerve is something that's been well-known since like TCM, traditional Chinese medicine times, that you can actually stimulate this. But Let's talk about this particular device in this particular study and how it addressed this idea of stimulating the vagus nerve to produce an effect on this metabolic dysfunction.
0: Yeah. So again, think of just over 100 patients in the study. It was probably about two-thirds to three-quarters women in the study. But what they did was they asked these patients to use an auricular stimulator that stimulates, as you said, the tragus nerve which is, is innervating the, the, the skin of the ear and merges back into the vagus nerve and brings information up to the brain. So stimulating, it will have messages going back up into the brain. And they looked at the effect on BMI. They looked at effects on blood pressure, diastolic pressure and systolic blood pressure. And what they found was that there was a pretty remarkable drop in those as well as they were doing real time fasting glucose levels, and so a little deeper than just looking at HbA1c's, they were looking at how the body was actually metabolizing sugar really in every meal so and and at all times, which is, you know, if you're going to go in for a workup on diabetes, what you find is, you know, you'll go through a bunch of other work, not just simply taking your HbA1c's, but, you know, they found reductions in HbA1c's even as, as short as 12 weeks in they saw you know, a modest reduction in BMI. They saw you know, better processing of sugar, glucose after, after meals and both at baseline as well as out six weeks and 12 weeks. So really exciting work to support the, again, what was originally a theory translated in animals, identified as having already been seen in prior work, and then uh, translated into a clinical study that I think has the beginnings of, hopefully at some point, this is going to be a treatment guideline.
1: I love that. And just as a quick little side note, this was a 12-week study, not 24, but obviously the effects were were quite similar. In fact, we were able to bring the A1C down significantly. I don't have the exact numbers on the article here, but I'll share that when I get a chance on the video again. But these are these are positive changes. And this was a, a study that was uh, reported in 2014. So we're talking eight years ago now. This is going to be the last study that we talk about right now, but this is interesting because it's it's a lead into, are we able to stimulate the cervical branch and and the cervical trunk in a similar way? And, and so I know that you are aware of studies showing that auricular stimulation is similar to implanted stimulation, is similar to cervical trunk stimulation in terms of the effect that you can produce. You want to just quickly touch on that.
0: Yeah, studies have been conducted using a variety of different implanted devices, as well as the auricular and cervical branch stimulations, a wide variety of different studies, including clinical work where you're actually treating a disease. But I'll just speak briefly because about fMRI work. So what we're what we're looking at in this case is how does the brain dynamically change in response to vagus nerve stimulation? So using something called a bold signal, which is looking at how oxygenated certain tissue is at any given time, you can see how active it is as a result of of stimulation. And what's been shown and been published is that varieties of different ways of stimulating the vagus nerve all appear to have similar, if not identical, areas of the brain light up and demonstrate that whether you're stimulating auricularly or stimulating at the cervical trunk internally or externally or frankly stimulating below the diaphragm you know in the chest cavity you can actually have the same effects a parallel set of work was also done looking at the effect on inflammatory markers and of course what we're talking about at the heart of it is that there's inflammation in this case metabolic inflammation that is triggering liver your liver to produce more glucose and gluconeogenesis and an insulin resistance that occurs as a result of the inflammation to lead to type two diabetes. And so what we're talking about here is ways in which we can reduce inflammation using the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And based on the work that's been shown in various different clinical studies, all ways of stimulating the vagus nerve, whether it be you know exogenously or frankly, there's things that we can do Uh, with our own behavior, Mm -hmm. our own diet and our own exercise regimens and meditation and focus. Anything that you can do that increases your parasympathetic activation or parasympathetic tone will have some level of benefit. Now, is it going to be as robust as a direct electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve? Maybe, maybe not. I'm going to probably err on the side of maybe not, but it certainly can't hurt. So, I encourage anybody who is suffering with type 2 diabetes to look for ways to stimulate the vagus nerve. I think you'll find that it will have a positive benefit.
1: So, yeah, I want to just end with a quick little story, a personal story. Somebody that connected the two of us actually gave us a really amazing bit of information in regards to how electrical stimulation of the vagus nerve has improved his personal health. So, he was diagnosed type 2 diabetic was on pharmacotherapy for some time. And then once he started stimulating electrically on the cervical trunk, he was actually able to bring his A1C levels down to a point where he's been able to come off of the pharmacotherapy. And that's a really exciting bit of news, obviously on his front.
0: Yes, his physician who was treating him actually for something separate, called up and indicated to us that it was a miracle because this is is an individual who's been type two diabetic for nearly a decade and was able to become glucose normalized, gluconormalized, without medication for the first time in a decade.
1: Such a phenomenal story. And if we can affect one life like that, who says we can't affect many more, right? And, and that people that take control of their health here and address their health using their vagus nerve, not only through electrical stimulation, but through all of the exercises and tools that they can use to promote vagus nerve activation and vagal, vagal nerve toning. You can actually create really positive changes, not only in your inflammatory levels, but the endpoints of a lot of these diagnoses and diseases. So this is really exciting and very promising work that's coming out. Are you aware of any new studies that are being done in this particular area?
0: Well, you know, I'm aware that there's a device that's on the market that is for treating obesity that is attached to the vagus nerve below the diaphragm. And that uh, a lot of the work that's been published out of that initial clinical work has also demonstrated that patients on average can reduce their, their A1Cs by, you know, a pointer or or more. And in many cases, they're becoming technically not diabetic anymore. They're still, their HbA1Cs are still in the sort of pre-diabetic direction. But, you know, listen, if you can go from being on medication and listing yourself as a, a diabetic, and then not that flies in the face of the standard belief in the in the society that it's a progressive disease, it's degenerative. It's, it, once you've been diagnosed, you're never going to not be, and that's really not true. And there's an opportunity here, and I think we're seeing it from a lot of different directions that uh, there are techniques and ways to heal yourself beyond what the modern medicine you know will tell you. Because I think I think there's there's more to more to come and more to learn.
1: Absolutely. I think that's a great place for us to end off today. This was a great chat. uh, Lots of wonderful research that's coming up and really promising, exciting news for those who are dealing with metabolic dysfunction and challenges in their metabolic health. So this is really exciting. Thanks again for joining me, JP, and we'll see you all on the next one.
0: Thank you very much. Great.